chance for Conor McGrath here and he'll surely give it in Conor what a goal! Mackey heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team oh, Mackey still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is up for Cats. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. But will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. Did a small change before the game worked the street. All right, you are very welcome along to the Off the Ball GA podcast with Four Gosh Energy. Remember, all our GA on News Talk is with Four Gosh Energy, official sponsor of the GA Hurling Under Twenty One Championship. Keep up to date and follow hashtag Hurling to the Core. A massive week in the big ball sphere in GAA. We'll have Tina O'Connor along in a little while. You may know her from Lake Wigale. You may know her from winning a number of All-Stars. You may know her from winning an All-Ireland with Dublin. She'll be previewing Dublin Mayo Part 2, the ladies' final this Sunday. She'll be in studio in just a few moments. Shane Stapleton is with me at the moment. Shane, how are things? Not so bad, Owen, yourself? Free of the, the reins of Dave McIntyre and Oshin Langan for one week only. Potentially the biggest week in the year and they haven't shown up, but uh, it's Owen Sheehan here in the hot seat anyway for the next hour or so. Uh, we're going to get chat about the All-Stars in a little while. That's certainly today's news in terms of football. It's been big news. I'm sure you've got big thoughts on the hurling All-Stars as well. We'll get to them uh, at the end of today's podcast. We may start with last Sunday though, Shane. Like, is this the worst? Is this the nadir of the Mayo House of Pain? It has to be, doesn't it? Well, at least, uh, surely one of those Kerry finals has to be, you know, when they got absolutely destroyed and, you know, you've got... Not about, as bad, though. Yeah, but you've got about 58 minutes of absolute torture, long drawn out <laughs> kind of torture rack of a final. No, like, that was... Was that the best game of Gaelic football of all time? Last Sunday. Yeah, in terms of like, I I had no skin in the game as such. Okay, like a, a couple of club mates playing for Dublin, but no real skin in the game because, you know, they've won All-Irelands before. What about you? So yeah. I have never had my stomach in so many knots watching a game where I had no skin where I had no skin in there. That's a fair point. It, it is certainly the most knotted I've ever been for a game when I've had no skin in the game as well. Per- perhaps the 2015... All-Ireland semi-final first game when Mayo came so close to beating Dublin on that occasion it was similar it's always to do with Mayo and I think, Mayo Dublin 06 yeah yeah, that as well I, I think it's always to do with this whole Mayo narrative that kind of enhances our whole experience of Mayo and we sometimes get confused whether or not that that's to do with the narrative or whether it's to do with a fantastic game now I thought it was an excellent game I thought it was the best All-Ireland final I've seen Scott, I don't know, I don't know in yeah. how, it's certainly the best one this decade, I think. It reminded me of Tip Kilkenny in Hurling. Yeah. It was just two teams that just laid bare everything, their characters, everything about them, and just the foot was never taken off the pedal. Mm-hmm. I was enthralled watching it. Just, I think we all wanted Mayo to win, anyone outside of Dublin, and even parts of people in Dublin were like, do you know what, I wouldn't begrudge it to them. Yeah, let's create this alternate universe and Mayo are Ireland champions. Are you pointing the finger at Jim Gavin right now? Yeah, I think you've, you have to say he got it wrong with Ono Gara. Okay. So, you know, ono Gara has been devastating in, in a number of games and I think some of these, uh, some of the players that have done really well in previous games when they've come in, himself, Paul Flynn, they've come in against beaten dockets and absolutely gone to town. Now, they both have been really, really good players for their, their team, for Dublin, over the years. I mean, Paul Flynn won four All-Stars in a row, came in in the replay last year against Mayo, did really well. O'Gara, I wouldn't like to mark him. And he looks like G.I. Joe, actually, when you see him in person, <laughs> like he's an absolute monster of a man. But you'd have to say, leaving Dear McConnelly on the bench, my God, what are you thinking? Mm. Because he came in and completely changed the game. And not only did him come in changing the game showed that he should have started in the first place and I don't care if he'd been out for three months he is possibly the best footballer in the game Yeah. not only was it silly for the very purposes of losing what he can do with the ball it also meant that Mayo didn't have to worry about Lee Keegan marking him and he could go and completely shut down Kieran Kilkenny to eight possessions I mean talk about shooting yourself in the foot and Paul Flynn came in early for Jack McCaffrey McCaffrey remember he had one uh, burst down the, the Hogan stand side and uh, put Mayo very much on the back foot. Like they, Dublin really lost a massive player there, and it probably hasn't been talked about that much because they won. Paul Flynn didn't really work out, and I was wondering why not Michael Darren McCauley to come in because he's done well against Mayo in the past. And you have to wonder is that the death knell for him at intercounty level? 
But of course, Dublin seem to hold on to their experienced players longer than anyone else, and rightly so, by the way. So it probably isn't. Potentially. Like, I think Michael Darren McCauley was probably in Jim Gavin's plan to bring on. But then when McCaffrey goes down, the whole game changes, doesn't it? So, uh, And also, the way the game was going, having to make the double sub at halftime as well. So Jim Gavin's hand was forced. And I think Jim Gavin deserves a lot of credit in terms of when he is backed into that corner a little bit, he does invariably make a very good decision. Like, granted, from the start, he, he got a lot wrong. And uh, like I'm not, I don't think you can really blame Jim Gavin for the kick-out situation in the first half, or, or can you? Why couldn't you? I mean, sure, like we'll talk with Kleena about this because she was a goalkeeper in All-Ireland Finals, so she knows what these high-pressure situations are like. But surely, with the amount of backroom staff and planning that you put into this, and speaking with people who have been involved in his backroom teams, he's the sort of person who could email you at three in the morning and then mm. be up at seven in the morning discussing something else, that there's unbelievable an unbelievable level of planning coming in from Jim Gavin. So I'd be hugely complimentary in how he has you know, how he puts everything together for Dublin, you know, all the organisational things in the background that none of us know anything about. But you have to wonder, like, how can that kick-out situation backfire so badly? Mm-hmm. Are, are Mayo really doing anything that you haven't planned for? Was there a bit of lack, lackadaisicalness there? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. So you tell me, do you think, do you think that, that that's down to Jim Gavin? Is that down to Stephen Cluxton? Well, I'm not quite sure. Like, I mean, we'll have Keanu O'Connor in here in studio in just a moment when we put that to her, but... Like, just before we move on to that, the key moment is obviously Donald Vaughan. And I'm split between two posts here. And and they're very, the posts are both very far apart here. I'm not sure, is it the stupidest thing I've ever seen done in an All-Ireland final? Or is it the most understandable thing I've ever witnessed in an All-Ireland final? Mm -hmm. Given uh, your favourite phrase, the emotional pitch of the occasion. And uh, the the emotional kind of, uh, suppose... I don't know how to describe them, just the visceral nature of Dublin, as in, it's not just the occasion when you're up against Dublin. They seem to bring out a borderline violent side in every team because of their intensity. I wonder, what, like, when he went barging in and kind of clotheslined John Small, was that the intention when he went running over? I don't or think did so. Or did he get his body in a funny old position and he ended up clotheslining him when he didn't really mean to? I, I think so, yeah. It seems like an incredible brain fart to do something like that. Yeah. Do you think he was actually going to give, do you think uh, Dublin Joe, sorry, I mean Joe McCullen was going <laughs> to give the second yellow card to well, John Small? Here we go. I, I don't think he was. You're, you're the first person now who's actually brought that up and we, we actually didn't discuss this before he came in. That's my theory. I'm not entirely sure McQuillan would have sent Small Yeah, off. I don't think so. But at, at the same time, Mayo would still have rotted 15 v 15 rather than 14 v yeah, 14. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's immaterial at this point. An- another thing, I think Stephen Rochford was so close. And I mean, I hate singling out Donny Vaughan, but sure, you can't. But I think uh, with a weaker, far weaker hand than Dublin, Stephen Rochford was close to pulling off the miracle. Mm. Because imagine if he had the bench Dublin had. Yeah. Oh, and like considering like what he's bringing in off the bench is pretty, pretty, pretty average mm. compared with Dear McConnelly, Bernard Brogan, Carmen Costello, etc., etc., etc. The fact that he nearly and perhaps should have, but for a couple of things on the field, like Vaughan's red card, and I mean, it's it's hard to single out Killian O'Connor on the free because imagine the pressure on your shoulders in that situation. But just a couple of different things like that. He got that team so far. When you compare the resources with Dublin, it's incredible. And just one final point I'd make is the only way I'd question Rochford is it's something I've been I tweeted the night before. You know, I think we all like you're a good football man, a savage football man. <laughs> so you you'd think a lot about the sort of tactical ways. How can, how can you get the little extra out of your team? I do think that, and it's been proven once again with Mayo that you know they're losing these tight games against Dublin because at in the 70th minute, they don't have their very best players on the field, or all of them. So, Colin Boyle, he's always going to be taken off early. Andy Moran, you know, and he signalled with his hamstring, he had to come off before the crucial moments. So these guys, you don't think they can last 70 minutes. And obviously, you're not just pulling that out of the hat. That's something that you've decided based on GPS, on running data, on just the effect of these players late in the game. Bring them off at halftime, and bring them both back on with 15 to 20 minutes to go. And someone made a very good point when I put that out on Twitter and said, would Andy Moran have set up that goal? Would they have got that goal with Andy Moran's assist for Lee Keegan if he hadn't been on the field? Very fair point. Very yeah, fair yeah, point. Yeah. But these guys don't last for 70 minutes, but you need them in the 70th minute. Yeah, it's a fair point. I'm sure it's one that'll rage on as well over the winter. I like, I think Moran's going to come back. I think, oh, 100%. It, it, like, yeah. Why be, wouldn't he? Exactly. I don't think anybody has ever gone out at that sort of high level. Uh, so... 
it'll be a debate that rages on next year for sure when it comes to the whole Boyle and Moran situation, given they are two of uh, Mayo's most important players. Uh, you are listening to the GAA podcast here on Off the Ball with thanks to Borgosh Energy. Remember, Borgosh Energy is a proud sponsor of the GAA Hurling Under-21 Championship, bringing customers closer to the action at bgerewards.ie. And all our GAA on News Talk is with BGE. We are joined in studio now by Kina O'Connor. She's got a Lake Gale made about her. She is an All-Star. She is an All-Ireland winner. Uh, you've worked professionally with Jim Gavin in the past. You may have a better insight into the man uh, than Shane or I might have. Let's just start with last Sunday. Were you there? What did you make of the game as a whole? Um, yeah, I suppose. Look, it was a great. It was a great win for the for the Dubs last last week. Uh, did I expect this? I mean, you, you hope they're going to get over the line. Um, I, but I think this year's final, last year's final, it. Um, it may be people saw how far Dublin are ahead, but you know they beat Mayo by a point this year. They beat them by a point last year, so they're they're the chasing teams are a lot closer than people like to pretend. I think mm-hmm. you were involved with Nada under Martin Kennedy, who yeah. was pr- uh, preparing the Dubs physically. So you would have you were involved like so Martin was leading the development athletically of the players, but you were involved too, or you, you would have seen it up close and personal. What are these Dublin players doing that is perceived to not being? Being done by other teams, and and what is the culture in there? Well, I suppose, yeah. My I did work uh, for for Martin Kennedy in Nada, and as you said, he was uh, the Dublin lead athlete development or S and C coach. And I suppose the the way he went about his business, he tried to get the rest of us to uh, implement across the company. Um, so we would have had some awareness, I suppose, of what was what was going on in the Dublin camp. Um, the big thing that, that Martin would preach in general and I think he brought to the Dublin setup was, was just consistency of the basics, I think, and getting to a, a level every year and across the season of a, a level of fitness, a level of preparation, a level of attention to detail. So when you're and that goes across every sport, you know, and a lot of the time in, in in the GAA, sometimes you get this. We go, we'll all go mad over the winter and then we'll do six weeks in January and we'll try and get back, we'll run the crap out of ourselves and we'll get fit and we'll get ready whereas I think that that doesn't really work if you want to be a, a top performer in any sport you you have to maintain a, a kind of a consistent level of good quality physical preparation mainly well a big part of it is to uh, stay injury free as well you know big highs and big lows of training are, are, are kind of a no-no in terms of uh, injury prevention. Mm. So is, are they doing anything that other teams aren't doing otherwise? In terms of physical preparation, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, Martin has gone to the IRFU now, so uh, there's other people doing that job now. But from what I saw, it was just repetition of the basics, attention to detail and monitoring load very carefully. So if you are fit and healthy and able to push on and do, do your work you did, if you were injured or coming back from injury, your workload was modified accordingly. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all, I suppose. That was a key thing too. Maybe splitting you in two, is that the... Yeah. Is that the main, main <laughs> yeah, option here? Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. It's an interesting one because, as you say, it seems to be kind of a complete change in mindset now from the GEA. Like, perhaps if you look at Donegal in 2012, they had won their first All-Ireland in 20 years, so naturally they go and they have a fantastic winter, whereas now it's three in a row. We see every year the post-match interviews, even at the All-Ireland final, are getting more and more mundane. Like, Dean Rocks was absolutely incredible, actually, after he had just won the All-Ireland for a three in a row. That the process is almost ingrained in the mind after winning in All-Ireland that I don't want to say four in a row here, but there is an inkling of that almost in what they're saying immediately after winning in All-Ireland. Yeah, I suppose, look, they, they, they talk, you listen to interviews and all that and they're talking about legacy and, and I mean, any time you're in a you're in a team that has that quality talent and that amount of groundwork done, you know you need to What's that phrase? Make hay while the sun shines. Mm. Cork ladies would have spoken about that too. They knew someday they were going to be beaten. So as long as they could hold it, as long as they were going to be able to maintain it, they just kept going, you know. Would you see similarities with this Dublin team and that Cork team that you would have come up against? Is there that level of like insane devotion to the, the process, to repetition, as you say? Is there any similarities there? Has, has the game moved on a little bit now in, in 2017 to perhaps that Cork team at its peak? I suppose their their culture was maybe their cultures would be similar in terms of you know Cork Cork ladies weren't doing anything fancy either you know they were just having a very good that attention to detail that they, they talk about the process really understanding the game really understanding their job players taking responsibility um, a lot of the players who've retired from Cork ladies like the Breach Corkeries and Juliet Murphys you hear them talk about it now and and 
they had ownership to take responsibility on the pitch to to do things when they thought the game needed to be changed or something needs to happen. They had the confidence to be able to do that on the pitch, uh, which I think is something that differentiated them from other teams anyway. Um, there's something like I, I do a lot of personal training sessions with Kleena. She absolutely tortures me at times. But the first time, for, you're always moaning. <laughs> I am always moaning. But the, one of the first times when I started doing training sessions, which and it was a lot of the same equipment that I presume the Dublin uh, footballers were using. But there's this uh, piece of machinery which is horrendous called Jacob's Ladder. Now just picture a ladder that just keeps revolving and you keep climbing. It's like one of those cartoons where you know like some character he's he's standing on a ladder and then the ground disappears and he keeps climbing it because it's falling on the ground and then eventually he has to fall anyway. But uh, So it's this horror show and, and I'd never been exposed to anything like it and it was like four sets of one minutes where you keep climbing but if you don't climb properly it's actually more painful to do but you have to expend so much energy to keep the flow going. And at the end of four sessions of one minute, like I, you're sitting there shaking, almost getting sick. And I thought to myself, like, how much further can this go? I mean, in terms of preparation, is every county team doing that? And where does it go from doing something like that? Because to me, that, that was almost sick doing it. it. Like, it was great training. But it was sick. Yeah, well, you're a bit soft, Shane. I so you, you found it harder than most people, you know. Um, I don't know. To be honest, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. I think there's a question of how, how far is this going to go? It's an amateur sport. Um, any sport you're in, players, coaches, managers, we're all going to be trying to get the extra edge. Do more, do more, do more, do better, more professional, uh, a performance coach, an athlete development coach, a God only knows what coach, you know. Um, so how how much can we push? How far do we expect an amateur player to go? Then you've got clubs who are trying to implement the same standards, but players say, OK, I'm going to train three times a week. Sometimes I might train four times a week when I'm really committed, uh, but I want to do all the same stuff that the top inter-county teams are doing and I want to get the same results. That It just does not work. It does not work, you know. Mm-hmm. We'll get into Sunday's game, I suppose. The reason why I bring that up uh, is like that great Cork team. Naturally, when you see this Cork team being beaten even today by this Mayo team, does that automatically make them unbelievable favourites for Sunday or does that give them some sort of like edge that perhaps isn't intangible in this sport that you've beaten this team that have caused so much pain for every county, including Dublin, through the years that they're now going into this game on an, on an ultimate high? Like I don't want to make the, the comparison to this current Mayo men's team, but certainly them getting over the line against Kerry in an All-Ireland semi-final seemed like this huge boost which almost got them over the line in an All-Ireland football final. Is there any similarities there between like beating this Cork team for Mayo? I'd say without a doubt they're going to get a kind of a psychological kick off that win. Mm. Um, no doubt about it. Um, I would say though, being a bit, I don't know, devil's advocate, I would have, I don't think the current Cork team, um, I think there were weaknesses there from the start of the year. I watched a couple of their games. I watched them play Monaghan and I thought Monaghan should have beat them. Then they went and gave an almighty performance against Galway um, and absolutely trounced them now. But I think that was a kind of a responding to the criticism they got after the Monaghan game. When Mayo played them, there were a couple of key moments in the second half. There was an open goal. There was um, two other chances to, to get goals that, that the, the Cork ladies didn't take. Now, from being on the other side of, of them, their comebacks n- numerous times, the big thing about Cork was you could be ahead, you could be ahead of them for 45 minutes. Their capacity when they got on top to take every single opportunity was quite spectacular. They may have missed wides in the first, or they may have hit wides in the first 20 minutes of the game. But in that, in second halves, when they knew, okay, the game, this is a really crucial point. They took every single opportunity and that was where often they won games. The difference this year I saw with that Cork team playing Mayo was those opportunities presented themselves and they weren't able to execute. And that was the difference. I'd, um, a big question these days is always about the goalkeepers and Stephen Cluxton is, is the king of goalkeeper in in, uh, in the men's side. You have a Laker Gale about you uh, on TG Cahar so maybe that makes you the Cluxton <laughs> of the other side. I'm not quite sure but <laughs> the, the question, the serious question I come to is just what is it like being a goalkeeper when you're under massive pressure and you know that I'm going to give momentum to the other team here if this kickout doesn't land where it should? Because we saw in the first half how upset Mayo, or sorry, how upset Cluxton and the scoreline was because mm. Mayo had uh, mm. had won a few on the, against the head. 
it's it's a challenge actually for for keepers, and it's something that mentally now uh, uh, mentally, yeah, definitely, it's something that I try to work on a lot. Um, especially again, as in the latter part of the of my career when we were coming up against Cork, and they were uh, often the the story was the same. We would be we'd have a great first half, we'd go in ahead at half time. The first ten minutes of the second half, you know, we'd get a few early scores, everything would look great, and then all of a sudden it. To be honest, at times it felt like they nearly let us win our kickouts for the first 40 minutes of the game. And all of a sudden they'd step up and I'd look up and all the spaces that were that should have been there, that were there, were just gone. So that was a ch- So then you're trying to look for, OK, what, what's what's happening? Couple that with the fact that they were starting to get a few scores. You're standing on the goal line knowing that, right, we need possession. We need possession. How are we going to get possession? Um so that is that is challenging and in the last couple of years we tried to to work on it in the fact that okay at at these points where we're under pressure they're getting scores we need possession specifically what are we going to do like what is our what is our game plan what is our kick out plan going to be i think if i'm to pick holes in in our preparation in the last couple of years we didn't we didn't go into enough specifics for those points we talked about you know, we won't give away an easy ball. We won't do this. We won't. But it was all emotional talk, and we needed to be a lot more specific in terms of who's going to run where and how. Where am I going to kick the ball, and what's actually going to happen? Rather than we won't let them run at us. Should that that means nothing. Like, and you do know. you think Mick Bohan, who's the manager now, and he was the manager in '03 when you got to that All Ireland final against Mayo, he's been involved with Clare under uh, Colm Collins, and he's been involved with Jim Gavin with Dublin. Do you think uh, that? Well, and obviously the women's game has evolved anyway, so you'd imagine that more and more ownership has been taken by the players in terms of these tactical bits of nows. Do you think that that's something that's going to have, have been adjusted now heading into this final? Um, I think so. Mick, Mick is... Um, I remember in uh, 2003, we went to a training camp weekend. Uh, I think we were in... We might have been in Clare or somewhere. It was real sunny anyway, this GA pitch in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we were... <laughs> I paint a great picture, yeah. Uh, and I remember Mick. We were practicing sideline uh, balls and keeping possession from sideline. And I remember he was running through it. He ran through it with three players and everyone else was standing. He was going through. This is what we're trying to achieve. And I tell you, he went on for twenty minutes uh, of this one thing. No, do it again. That's not good enough. Shit, that's crap. You know, do how are we going to do it? You know. And back then he had that mindset of repetition, repetition, repetition. I think. If um, like, and I I rate Mick very highly. I think back then, he maybe was too controlled. He wanted a, a template for absolutely everything, and you had to follow these patterns. I think now there's a there's a bit of a shift in terms of giving you the basic foundation, the skills, and the templates to work from, but making decisions as the game evolves. So having having a best case scenario, but having the confidence to adapt as the game adapts. I think. I think Derek McGrath referred to, you know, because people talk about the Waterford system, he called it a controlled flare. Does that sound something familiar? Yeah, I think so. Well, you need that. You need some idea of, um, like a, a good coach I'm working with at the minute, like he talks about, if we pretend that our games are chaos and sure you can't plan for anything, that's a cop out. Mm. Because then you're oh, sure, who knows what's going to happen and sure, just do whatever. And he's big on this idea of patterns of play. So, the first thing you need to do is if if you're in goal in goals whatever with a football how if there was no opposition what is the best way for us to get the ball from here to over the bar right no opposition then you go okay when we can do that really really well under 10 seconds whatever it is then bring in a bit of opposition and then challenge the decision making can you still execute your plan with an opposition player in the way etc cetera, etc cetera. so you need something to work from. A cop out is saying, "Sure, we can't plan for anything." Should uh, that's endless then. So, but the others, if you stifle the uh, the boyo or the person on the team that that mm. can do that something spectacular, you're taking away you're taking away that flair, that natural talent then, which doesn't work either. So the balance, the control flair, I suppose, is a good mm. good way. So two thousand and three is the uh, was the. Previous time that Mayo met Dublin in All Ireland final, yeah. you played that day. It was Mayo one four, Dublin five points. What are your memories of that game? Um, I it was my first year in the Dublin panel, um, and I remember uh, it was a dreadful day in Crow Park. The game. It's funny because I was thinking about the game during the week. Obviously, with the week that's in it, and um, 
people criticised afterwards, you know, there was a crap game of football and it was a crap game of football. And afterwards, and it was bad advertisement for the sport because mm. it, it had probably got more attention because it was Dublin's first senior All-Ireland final. So it got a bit more attention than maybe previous finals. And people were disappointed with the quality. After it, I didn't give two fiddlers about the quality because we lost. You know, it didn't... Um, it didn't really register with me. Um, I remember it was, a, it was yeah, it was a, it was a real rainy day, and I suppose the the thing that sticks out is the last minute goal. You know, it was it was it was brutal. You know, it was a brutal way to, it free to lose. Freeing from and freeing uh, dropped in dropped into the kind of edge of the square, and there was all sorts of was it a square ball? Was it this? Was it that? What the other? But at the end of the day, she put the ball in the back of the net. You know, and we Diana Hora scored. Diana it, Hora scored it. Yeah, and uh, I've hated her ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was. Uh, but you know what? Like, and it, it's something that came up on that Lake Regale thing. That was, um, I think, that drove me to master the high ball. Yeah. F- for the rest of my career, I was like, no one is ever going to score a goal like that again. And I think a couple of years later, and it was, I, I'm going. It was harsh now, but Mick, Mick Mick Bowen met me. I met Mick somewhere. It was after some final against Cork that we lost. Um, and uh, I think I'd caught a high ball during the game, and he came up to me and he said. If you'd caught that high ball like you did today against Mayo, we would have won the game. And I, I, I was ready to box him. I was you like, should have. I, 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 I think I might box him <laughs> someday. <laughs> if they I'll win get on him. Sunday, and someday they meet I'll get him. Hit him a shot. But it was like a, it was like a punch to the gut, you know. So that's uh, that's my memory of that game. Yeah. I suppose is that bloody high ball, yeah. Like, what was the plan that day? Was like to keep a team to four points for the majority of the match. Like would have been in hindsight one of the greatest defensive masterclasses. Like surely at the time you you couldn't have looked back and said oh, we can take stuff from this. But in the the preceding seasons, then you might have looked back at that game and said we had an unbelievable defensive plan going into that game. Yeah, defensively we did very well, and I suppose they had uh, they had Cora Staunton who was dominating. Mm. Uh, they still have Cora Staunton, obviously, but uh, our player. Um Maria Kavanagh, or Bangers, as, as everyone calls her, is, uh, but she won't like me saying Bangers on radio. Uh, Maria Kavanagh, um, Maria Kavanagh marked her and uh, did an unbelievable job. And she was the unmarkable Coruscant. Yeah. So that was a big key piece. Was she was going to do that job, and she was just going to stand her up, not fail her, and not let her take any shots. Basically, is she still unmarkable? Uh, not as. Not as much. Um, I don't know who's going to market. They have a couple of options. Rachel Ruddy could do it. Sinead Finnegan could do it. Um, I think they'd be my first go-to people to do the job. Um, they'd be good enough. I think with Cora, uh, Breed Stack did it really well, uh, the Cork fullback. Um, people, Cora's very good at holding up the ball. I mean, she's physically very strong, okay? So she can stand tall and keep possession of the ball. What usually happens is the defenders get impatient, they get uh, rush of blood to the head and they fail her. Simple as. And then she's exceptionally accurate on the freeze so she kicks mm. the ball over the bar. But Breed uh, had this ability, because she was strong enough to hold Cora still, she just put her arms out and she'd just be patient and she'd wait and she'd wait and she'd wait and she'd either get a dispossession or Cora would overcarry the ball. So I think that discipline and that, I suppose, composure when marking her is the key thing. Because people go out... They're built up. You're going to mark Cora and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And then sure, they just go mad and they give away stupid freeze in an effort to try and dominate her, you know. But patience, I think, is the key to marking her. And you, she would have always been the inside line, well, largely in the inside line. And you would have been right there, mine in the square as well. Yeah. What do you do as a goalie? How can you influence trying to stop her? Um... For me, it was trying to uh, control my own defenders. It was trying to make sure that whoever was marking her was just full of confidence. Anytime they did it well, you'd be in their ear saying, that was brilliant. I never really got into any chat to the opposition, so it was always about trying to... I don't believe that. I, I actually didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Diana Hora once or twice, maybe, but, <laughs> <laughs> but not really. Um, but I suppose keeping whoever's marking her on their job and also having the other, let's, the other cornerbacks or whoever it is ready if they do get beaten, because as I said, Cora's strong, so when she runs at goal, she's very hard to stop. So you need other people to come in and not allow her to build up momentum. So I suppose keeping everybody on their job and tuned in to, you may have to leave your player and get the hell in here as quick as you can, really. So Dublin won the semi-final against Kerry by 14 points, hammered them. Yeah. Um, Sinead Ahern scoring 2-7. Where, is she the most likely avenue for Dublin to win this game, or how do you see Dublin winning it? I think Sinead is, is going to have to be on form again and she has she's been very consistent throughout the year. 
Um, I think I think last year's semi-final against Mayo, um, Sinead got a, a, a free in the last minute to win the game. And, you know, she, she took a penalty before against Cork and the All-Ireland scuffed it. It was a crap penalty. Um, so, and... You know, she'd say it herself. <laughs> You're a harsh woman. <laughs> yeah, no, she would say it in fairness. You know, but my point is, like, she's she's been on the the bad, or the wrong side of things like that uh, in previous years and previous seasons. Last year, I was delighted. She took a pressure kick, won the game, and I think, to be honest, she seems this year to be going from strength to strength, very composed, hitting big big scores in each game. So she's a key player, but I do think. The Nicole Owens, uh, Carla Rowe, they're going to need to give a bit more as well in terms of more scorers on the on the board. I think it can't you're, it cannot be entirely Sinead Ahern. Was the five ten in the semi final more representation of Dublin's firepower or Kerry's leaky defence? Probably Kerry's leaky defence. I don't think there's no way they're going to get those goals <laughs> against Mayo. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm th- I, I would presume that they're smart enough to know that. I don't think Kerry were particular, particularly good that day. We'll probably come back to your prediction in a minute, but the 2010 final, or just playing in finals in general, over the course of what comes to mind when you think of playing in All-Irelands, both in terms of the pressure on your shoulders or the enjoyment of it or, or the games itself? Um, I, sp- I suppose you think about the games, you think... I'd, I mean, I always enjoyed the... I I did enjoy it playing there in Crow Park, big crowd, all of that. So that I I wasn't um, I wasn't a, some people hate the nervousness of that, etc. I I did enjoy it. I have to say, I suppose the if to be honest about it, there, there was it's like any sports person, the losses maybe outweigh the the one win that we had in twenty ten. So I think the further I get away from my career, you're trying to focus more on the good bits. Um, and it's funny after that the the Laker Gale thing, you know, I watched it back a couple of weeks later, and I was so down in the dumps about the whole thing and glum about my football career because we hadn't won, we hadn't done this, we hadn't done that, and it was a big realization. I was like, well, if you didn't enjoy it that much, why were you doing it? Mm. So I think sometimes maybe as sports people, we we we're afraid to admit that actually. We're afraid to enjoy it because is that a weakness? You have to be really serious about everything. Um, yeah, you have to put in the work and you have to do all the good things and you have to take it seriously. But that doesn't mean you can't maybe have a smile on your face every now and then or have a bit of a laugh about it. Or you know, sometimes I think are, are we are we too serious? Do you, you know? get that sense from different teams you've been involved in? Um, yeah, yeah, as I a do. Coach as well, I do, I do. I think you you have to if you lose the kind of the human you lose players if you lose the humanity of it and if it's the kind of the be all and end all um it, it if it's all consuming i i don't think it it works in the long run it can there's periods where you have to really switch on it and you have to do all the things that you need to do absolutely but the, there are times when you need to just switch off a little bit from it too and and getting too serious you can you can't sustain it is the problem you cannot sustain it the average attendance in the ladies' finals in the last four years has been, give or take, 30,000. Mm. Do you think that that's reflective of the overall interest in the game these days? And do you think that's actually a good marker now, 30,000? Um, I don't think it's a good marker. Um, I think there are a lot more people playing the game um, than come to the finals. Mm. Um, I give out to someone once because um, they... I met someone on the street after, I think it was a semi-final or something like that, and they were saying, oh, you won at the weekend, and they started giving out about the media. There was no coverage of the game, etc., etc. Um, the game is on in Parnell Park. Um, and they said, there should be more... Co-. And I said, did you go to the game? No, I didn't. I said, well, then. And that was sort of the end of the yeah, conversation. I yeah, I was, you know, the, it's always somebody else's fault, you know. Yeah. Um, and if you think about the... the there are plenty women's footballers around Dublin I'll just take Dublin as an example who would be like oh I have to go to the they would be killing people to get a ticket last weekend you know Mm. they play for the men's game they play ladies football themselves Um, some of them won't bother go to the game this weekend Um, I don't know whether is it is it a psychological thing is it a fashion thing you have to be at the Dublin men's game I, I don't know what the hell it is but I think that's that's the starting point for for me is players club players 
of the game have to get off their backsides and go and support their county team. And is the answer then, like earlier this year, there was um, there was a double header, men and women. I think it was Dublin Mayo again, as it happens. Is that the answer, or is it a case? Is that piggybacking the men's game, and that's not how you want to do it? Uh, I think in in things like the leagues and stuff like that, I, I'm I'm all for double headers. Uh, someone said a while ago they were, you know, it'd be great to see the women and the men all Ireland finals playing the same day. I wouldn't like that. No. To be to be honest, no, I wouldn't because I think you're not the main event, and that's in that sort of scenario as well. I mean, you are a curtain raiser to another event, which isn't what you want. Precisely, yeah. You're you're kind of oh sure, and it's nearly done because I don't know. It's it's the right thing to do, wouldn't it be great? Sure, we'll let we'll let the women in before us, and uh, first of all, <laughs> tickets would be a nightmare. You know, yeah. you could have four <laughs> counties. You know what I mean? And you, there's no way that it'd be fifty fifty tickets. You know, you'd be like, well, here's ten thousand for the ladies, and because you, why would we mess with with men's All-Ireland hurling or football let, let you guys have your day and let it be wonderful etc etc like wh- how how old is the GAA it's over 100 years right yeah More. 130 years 130 so ladies football um, 40 years old yeah okay so we have to keep it in perspective here so we have between 30 and 40,000 every year which is a massive number on the global scale for female only sporting events mm-hmm. right Um. I'd be saying, give us, give us time. Give us, let us keep building towards that. Let let us get get our own players out to out to support our county team. That that's a big thing. I think women's football need to address and achieve. I'm jealous of the innovations that uh, that w- ladies' game are so willing to embrace. The sin bin, even the referee cam. Um, I think that the that the men's game could definitely benefit from something like that. You know, the sin bin idea just seems so logical to me because. The black card is an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Do, do you think the men's game could embrace some of that? I th- maybe, maybe we're not as because we're we're not maybe as entrenched in tradition. Um, precious. Yeah, yeah. That we have, we have a bit more leeway sometimes. We can be innovative, and I know the ladies' football kind of. That's one of the things they pride themselves on is trying to, to be innovative. And I suppose you're trying to make, to make the best product you have. And so, sometimes there is that challenge because. In one way, you don't. You are a GAA sport. You're part of the culture. It's all coming from the same clubs, grassroots. So you need to maintain some sort of link with the culture, and and the way things are going. But maybe we have a little bit more freedom in terms of being able to do get things passed and get things moving. You know. You mentioned those people who won't uh, bother with a ticket this weekend. Will they regret not going this weekend? Is it going to be a good game? Do Mayo get spooked by the return to Croke Park? And I'm not sure. Like, are, are you are you definitely tipping Dublin for this then on Sunday as well? Uh, I think I think Dublin. I am. I I would be tipping Dublin to win. Uh, I think they're they're a different animal this year. They've uh, the last couple of years. It's been quite the same. They've been making the same mistakes. We've been losing games in the same way. This year they're playing differently. Players are in slightly different positions. Um, the forwards are moving in a different way. So they they look to be different this year. But having said that, I'd say the same thing about uh, Mayo. In previous years. The ball would have gone into Cora. She would have been involved in most things. She would have kicked it over the bar. Uh, now, the last couple of games I've watched, it seems other players are winning the ball and she's kind of coming on to the end of things. So she's not as... She's still a pivotal player, don't get me wrong, but she's she's not as involved in every play, which makes them harder to deal with as a forward unit. So I don't think... Also, I think for a lot of that Mayo team, there's a bit of a last roll of the dice sense about it and that can be a real powerful thing um from experience it's a big it's a big motivator and you you really give it everything and i suppose they're looking for their fairy tale ending uh mayo so um i think it will be close i think if the two if the two teams kind of go at it they could there's a potential for it to get defensive and kind of that that sort of stand off and see what happens etc uh i hope it doesn't because both teams have the ability to be very entertaining and to be it has the potential to be a very high scoring entertaining game which I hope we get from it if both teams just play with confidence and, and go at it you know Shane how are you calling this? Yeah I just go with Dublin as well um, actually just one other thing before we, we finish up is Clint, I'm wondering with the football um, nominees for the footballer of the year both Stephen there's been four nominees this year Andy Moran, who I think everyone would agree should be in there and probably will win it. James McCarthy's in there. And then both Stephen Cluxton and David Clark have been nominated. They've made an exception this year because they don't want to prejudice that, you know, if they pick Cluxton, for example, then he'll also be guaranteed to get the All-Star um, in the team of the year. 
But what we're left with is a situation where one goalkeeper is going to get nominated for Footballer of the Year yet not win an All-Star. So what do you make of that decision as a goalkeeper yourself <laughs> and who should win it? That's point. <laughs> who, who should get the All-Star, never mind Footballer of the Year? Um, I, I suppose... I don't know. If you I bet you if you asked Stephen Cluxon he'd tell you he doesn't care about awards. But, uh, of course he would. But like um, in the first half he had a bit of a nightmare against Mayo, whereas in the second half late on, uh, Clark obviously had a couple of um poor kickouts. Yeah, I suppose it's it's very uh, it's very easy to see when kickouts go right and go wrong, and because now so much attention is put on them because they're now seen as or everyone's aware that they're such a pivotal part of the game. I suppose you got you gotta look at the gotta look at the season as a whole, don't you? This right. um you know, every goalkeeper is going to have bad kickouts, and the question is, it's a bit like I was describing about Cork ladies earlier on. Stephen had bad kickouts in the first half, or the kickouts didn't go as well. When the game, that very, very crucial point in the game, which goalkeeper performed better? Yeah. You know, when it was when it really, really, really mattered under absolutely intense pressure. That that'd be where I'd go in terms of trying to divide the two guys. So Cluxton. Yeah. All the way. Kleena O'Connor there joining us in studio to look ahead to Sunday's game. Remember, we'll have live reports on Sunday of that All-Ireland Ladies Football Final from Croke Park between Dublin and Mayo. Remember, all our GAA news talk is with Borgosh Energy, proud electricity partner to the GAA. Follow all the under-21 hurling championship action at hashtag hurling to the core. Uh, she mentioned the All-Stars there. We'll get to those in just a few moments, but we'll hear from the Dublin and Mayo camps here. First, here's Sinead Ahern. To be so close for, for, for a few years and, and to not to have got there, um, you know, certainly it's, it's a motivating factor, but, um, you know, it's, it's a different panel, it's a different management team in and every season takes on a life of its own and you know once you begin preparations it's very much focusing on, on that season and you know all year we've been trying to get back uh, to, to an All-Ireland final but, but not just to get there and, and to go and win it um, so uh, you know last year is it, done and, and gone at this stage and it, it's just uh, I suppose focusing on, on, on preparing for, for Sunday as best we can How important is your experience of Croke Park because I guess in, in ladies football it's not somewhere you get to play as much as the men, so maybe you're not as used to it as they are. You you played out here a number of times. Is it different to any other pitch? Is it does it like the dimensions, the stands, all that kind of stuff? Can it put you off? Can it have an effect? Oh look, it's a fantastic pitch. I mean, looking at it there, it's um, you know it's obviously superbly maintained, um, big pitch. So um, you know there's 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 that aspect to it, I suppose, in terms of fitness and, and trying to use the space. Um, but look, you know, we'd be hoping that it's um, a lot of fans in the day to support it'd be you know great for, for both teams to, to have that behind them but um you know other than uh, it can make it a little bit difficult more difficult i suppose in some of your matches to, to try and communicate with players but um no look i, I think uh we've, we've we've had that experience before and you know we're, we're prepared for it and uh you know, just um it, it, once you once you cross that white line it's another pitch anyway are you feeling the pressure build up as we speak on tuesday because obviously the weekend's game sunday's match took all the focus up until maybe today now all the focus is going and are you kind of glad that the pressure wasn't on until now in the outside world uh, but now it's kind of now the focus is going on you no, look. I, I think um, you know we've we've had four weeks, I suppose, leading up um, for, since our semi-final to, to this. So um, it's been very much a structure and a, a plan that we've put in place to um, to prepare for it. And you know, this week is just uh, the last of, of that as, as, as we um, you know put the final piece, final touches to uh, to what hopefully is a, a jigsaw that uh, that fits together on Sunday. But um, yeah, no, I, I think um, you know it's it's been very uh, relaxed and uh, just you know everyone's just buzzing to get out there. Sinead, best of luck. Thank you. And from the other side of things, here is Sarah Tierney. Our team at the moment, it's been building over the last five to ten years. And to get to an All-Ireland final, you need a lot of things to go right. You need a bit of luck. Um, You need the county board to be working together with management and everything. And as you said, down through the years, that wasn't always the case. Um, It was really frustrating because you had fantastic players. I mean, in 2007... There was, um, I think it was just the two Heffernans that left after that game. So there was still a solid panel left there. And maybe if things were done differently and the county board was run right, um, we could have had maybe three, four more All-Irelands. You never know, because there was a solid team there. And I know growing up as a little one, um, I remember being here in 2003 when Mayo won their All-Ireland. Like you had mountains and mountains of kids here supporting their idols, like Sakura and all them. And that's what you want. That's what builds um, ladies Gaelic football get the interest get the interest in early um, it's unfortunate but um, thankfully Frank Brown came in there three years ago and he's done a fantastic job with us he's brought in a fantastic management panel
panel as well. Um, he's pulled together with everyone. Um, we're a really close-knit group, both on and off the pitch. Get on very well, and like that, they're working with the county board as well, and things are going right, and that's what you need to get to an All-Ireland final. Talk to me about your experience of 2007. You were in Crow Park on All-Ireland final day, but you couldn't play. You were too young, but you were involved. Yeah, um, so we would have played Carnacone in the county final the year before, and uh, I would have actually marched Cora at 15 years of age, my idol. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I got the call up after that by Frank Brown, actually. Um, I remember coming out of my uh, junior cert mock, I think it was, and he rang me. So I came in and they actually didn't realise that I was only 15 going on 16 as opposed to 16 going on 17. So I actually wasn't legal to play. Yeah. But uh, I trained with the girls because it was fantastic to be able to train with them. And it was great development for me. I would have been only a skinny little thing back then. And um, yeah, I, they asked me to come in and do water girl on the day and obviously there was no pressure on me but it was great to be down pitch side beside your idols running out giving them water and everything and to even experience the crowd on the day it was unbelievable went in with the team bus and everything and that was class and hopefully that experience stands to me the next day and we don't get carried away or anything what was that like as a 15 year old to mark Cora Staunton I can only imagine the kind of um, the place in the hearts of Mayo football people that she has she kind of reminds me of like um, like I'm from Waterford Tony Brown is kind of like one of our Cora Staunton Kim McGrath as well I guess John Milan Tony saved on my phone is God Brown I don't know if, if you quite have Cora at that, at that status in your phone but what was superhuman. it superhuman that's a good one as well what was it like to mark her age 15 was it intimidating a good challenge fun did you um, I, I would have been a stubborn little child um, I remember um, the Heffernans would have been on my club team as well yeah. and there would have been a lot of girls there who were well fit to be able to play county and um, I remember landing to the pitch in Westport and someone came over to the car and was like right Sarah we have a job for you today you're marking Coruscant and I was like what and uh, they left the car so I was in the car with my two parents and they kind of just turned around looking at me and I remember just being pure silent and I was like right well it's a job and I just got to do it and I can't let it get to me and um, yeah I marked her that day and it was it was an experience Uh, we lost out narrowly in the end and that was probably the last time our club was anyways near close to beating Carnicun but um, no it was an experience and it was fantastic to get the call up and it was fantastic to have the two Heffernans um, in Mayo at the time because they were like mammies to me back then so it was great experience before I let you go I've seen these teams on numerous occasions over the last couple of years in the flesh and on TV I, just, I can't wait for this game I think it's going to be a belter as a player are you excitedly looking forward to it like that or are you kind of cautiously looking forward to it as we sit here in Crow Park pretty much between the 65s on Tuesday of the, the week of the final yeah I, obviously yeah, I'm really looking forward to it uh, we'll enjoy the build up um, as I said it's fantastic to be able to play in our national stadium it's a beautiful place I hope we embrace the occasion take it in because you never know what could happen tomorrow or the day after um, so you just got to take it with open hands this opportunity doesn't come around too often um, so look forward to it on the day maybe as a full back um, I'll be <laughs> hoping the match is over as quick as could be but uh, I know we'll, we'll look forward to the, look, the occasion hopefully it goes our way Sarah really appreciate your time best of luck thank you so much well, that pretty much concludes uh, things in terms of preview for the weekend we'll get into the, the All-Stars uh, one of the, the men nominated for an All-Star this year is Paul Ganey of Kerry. Uh, Oshin Langan has been speaking to Mr Ganey this week. Paul Ganey, we're looking at a tour of Crow Park at the moment as we sit here in the sixth floor and the guide is talking about last Sunday's football final Dublin and Mayo. Did you watch the game? Did you come to the game? Could you watch the game? I know it's tough for players who come so close and don't quite reach it. It can be kind of an awkward one. Yeah, I was here. Yeah, I was up in, I was on the sixth floor um, down in PWC's box there. Um, so I watched it from there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one in All Ireland final day. You want to be on the field, um, and there's no other there's no other gig in town that's as good as that. Um, so yeah, it was it was tough to tough to watch, but uh, you know we didn't deserve to be there. So um, I have to watch it from the stands again for the second year in a row. Does that make it even tougher again? The fact that you've just said we were beaten by a better team in that replay and they deserved the spot, you didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, because normally you might say uh, what if and what if and but um, no, not not this year, not really. Uh, May over better than us on, on the on the second day out and possibly the first as well. But um, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's it is tough to, to to look at it and and um, and know that you actually weren't good enough to to be out there. 
Mayo played well on both days. But I think on the second day, Kerry just weren't quite Kerry. Have you figured out in your own head what went wrong? Have you talked about it collectively as a group? What, what are your thoughts on it now? Yeah, um, we we haven't. No, we haven't met up since um, since the game. But uh, just looking at it, I suppose that, that, that we we weren't aggressive enough, um, and that cost us. Um, Mayo were the aggressors on the day, um, the first day as well, and they were. They were um, they were they were up for it. They wanted to get into an All Ireland final, and we seem to have we seem to have maybe expected to just uh, maybe turn up and, and we get into the final, and it doesn't work like that. So um, it's hard to say what exactly went wrong. Maybe it was a, just a simulation of um, many 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 small facets, like you know, but. Uh, we didn't uh, function well up front either on, on, on either of the two days, so that was uh, that was probably a big part of it. Because yeah, you had a promising spring, winning the league, beating Dublin. You went after them aggressively, dispossessed them, matched them physically, beat them in the tackle, although it was a very slender game. And that, that how you imagine, is what you had planned for those semi-finals. But between the Dublin game and between the semi-final, there was a massive gap where you didn't get a really, really close game. I know Clare was close for a while... Cork challenging in patches of that game but in truth you always look comfortable quarter final against Galway again they got in for goal chances but you never looked like you were going to lose now I know you're not an excuse making county and you're not an excuse making guy but surely that long layoff of no competitive games or certainly not being matched like Mayo had been that couldn't have helped you yeah it didn't um, it didn't help us and maybe maybe we had peaked at the Munster final maybe we peaked there um, and Looking at the year now as a whole, uh, it's 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 almost obvious that we did peak there because we were poor against Galway, and we were poor both days out against Mayo and um, Kerry teams normally aim to peak for for September. You know, um, it might sound arrogant, but uh, that's that's where you look to peak. That's where you want to be. Um, so you 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 would accordingly, um, you know, you train for that. Um, and I think this year that yeah we didn't. Um, we had peaked, I think, around the Munster final. Maybe the league, the league is what we thought. You know, that that was a good marker. Do you for know us. at the time you're peaking? Do you kind of think to yourself, okay, we need to hold ourselves back, or is it only something you see retrospectively, or can you hold yourself back when you're peaking? Because I imagine yeah. as an athlete, it's it kind of it goes yeah. just against everything you're trained to think. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't. Uh, you might see at the time as you're in a great place, and um, but you 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 would think that uh, it's just. Uh, a level along the way that you're if you're playing your best you you think that you know well this is great this is where I want to be but there's going to be more like I'm going to play better again the next day and better again the next day um so you can't really you can't really stop it like but um yeah the 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 the, the final against Dublin here was it was a good step in our minds along the way it was important to 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 win the national league for us um and it was important for us as well to beat Dublin and almost proved that we could do it um, and then we thought you know that's it's a good omen normally when Kerry win the league they win the championship and um, and then afterwards uh, not really sure still what what, what yeah. the story is but uh, what happened but um, it didn't happen for us and uh, we'll have to we'll have to figure it out and learn from it and, and try and come back and rectify that next year what are these winters like for a player in Kerry having to listen to the theories having to listen to the rumours having to listen to I guess the straight talk because we always think of the winter talk as being bull when sometimes it's actually quite accurate and you yourself have been very honest what's it like as a player to have to listen to that until football starts again or until you win the All-Ireland again yeah it's a disaster really yeah. um, because because you do hear um, which is fine but then you hear it again and then you hear it again and then you hear it again yeah. and it's from even if it's accurate it yeah, just yeah. gets okay. but, and from multiple different sources then yeah. as well like you know so it can be tough uh, it can be tough in the brain and it, it, you know if you're in a, in, a, in a bad mood or just don't want to talk about that um, you know well especially in my job in the pub you, you've no choice but um, but yeah it can be wearing alright and um, that's the problem with the, the winter when it ends um, when it ends early like in the semi-final that the winter is long and um, usually the only way of of rectifying it yeah. is, is you know the next day out which is you know it's January before we get back in the field again and that's 
five months before, four months before a, a proper competitive game, um, and then the championship is you're almost thinking eight months down the line. You know, yeah. so it's 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 it's, it's going to be a tough one, um, but. Um, that's just the pill with the swallow now. When you get a busload of Americans into the pub, do you think to yourself, "Thank God they don't know football; they won't hassle me." <laughs> yeah, but then they they ask, they see pictures and stuff on the wall, and they okay. be asking about it then as well. So I did the same rigmarole every time a bus comes in. You yeah, have to yeah, explain yeah. what football is and <laughs> and explain the rules and that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's probably it's probably you probably won't throw a well. Kerry shouldn't have yeah, played a sweeper, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's easier to direct the talk, really, I suppose, yeah. with the Americans. Yeah, you can yeah. you can bring it to where you want to go with it rather than yeah. rather than someone that knows what they're talking about. Um, you know, telling you about subs and. And what you should have done right, what you did wrong, and where you should do next day, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a bit of a release, right? Having the, the the Americans come in. Shane, very briefly before we wrap things up, uh, the football all stars. You, you raise a very good point there, actually, with the goalkeepers. It is one of these anomalies that we've seen uh, in well, the anomaly we've seen. There's a few strange ones in there, like just throwing one out there. I think Jamie Clark has a decent chance of potentially picking up a gong. Yeah, actually, I did um, an all-star. You know, after the semi-finals were played, I did an all-stars um, selection for for a website, and I got slaughtered for putting Jamie Clark in there. Absolutely slaughtered for it. And I put Stephen Cluxton in goals, and I actually like it was on Facebook thing, and I put it up on Twitter, and I said, "Look at the comments here! I <laughs> absolutely destroyed for mm. putting Cluxton in there." But you know, I think he deserves the the all-star. I think he will get it, and. You know, Kleena explained uh, the situation of what it's like when the pressure comes on and who delivered when the pressure came on. And like, if you think of the first half against Kerry as well in the drawn game, I'm not sure that Clark covered himself in glory. He is a brilliant goalkeeper. He's really delivered in a lot of big games this year. But I don't think that there's a question over who should win that Mm All-Star. And uh, for that reason, I don't think he should be nominated for Footballer of the Year. I do think it's a little bit of a cop-out. And I can't understand how you're going to have four, you're going to extend it. Now, there are different people on the All-Star panels for Hurling and football, but I don't understand how you can have four nominees for footballer and yet on the Hurling side have three. Mm. And the one Galway representative probably isn't within the top five Galway performers that year. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's that sounds unfair. He might sneak within the top five, but I I sort of agree with you. I was very surprised to see him as the only goalie. Yeah, and him being Joe Canning. Now, he's had a good year. He he won the game against Tipperary with his his performance in the last 15 minutes. He was excellent in the first 15 minutes of the game against Watford in the final. So and that's that's leadership right there. But was he like he's got 10 points from playing the championship overall? Was he the best Galway player? No. Absolutely not. Uh, some people would say that Grode McInerney didn't actually get on that much ball in the final, but he did hold Austin Gleeson scoreless. So that's huge because they needed Gleeson to have a big day to win that game. He was excellent against Bonner Maher in the second half against Tipperary. Really strong all year. I thought Parik Mannion was unbelievable all year. Connor Whelan, if he popped one more point, I'd say he'd be a certainty because he got one point in the final, but Noel Connors was in his shorts all day. Uh, so I just don't under, I just, Connor Cooney eight points in the yeah. Leinster final I was surprised not to see him I like, think it's populism gone mad I think <laughs> like uh, there's, a, there's a lot of talk that Joe Cannon gets way too much criticism when things don't go well and that's true but he gets way too much praise when things go right if he does a 7 out of 10 it's considered a 10 out of 10 and like a couple of people on Twitter have said that I've got, got it in for him I absolutely do not but let's just be realistic here is he the number one contender this year for Galway no he's not now the Watford vote will be split, so Canning will 100% win Hurler of the Year. Well, I'm very much looking forward to Shane Stapleton versus Joe Canning as the big war that rages on throughout the winter. <laughs> it so isn't. Who's going to win the two big ones very quickly, Shane? Uh, Footballer of the Year and Hurler of the Year. Andy Moran, age 33, and it's Hurler of the Year is going to be Joe Canning. Nice one. Appreciate that, Shane. I'm, I think we might have one more pod to wrap up the summer. It certainly would be poor form if uh, Dave and O'Sheen didn't get yeah. back on this one last time. We'll have a pop at Dave who's on the All-Star football panel. Absolutely. We'll do yeah. that. We'll chalk that down. You have been listening to the Friday GA podcast, or in this case, a Thursday GA podcast here on News Talk with thanks to Board Gosh Energy. Remember, BGE, our official sponsor of the GA Hurling Under-21 Championship. Keep up to date and follow hashtag hurling to the core. That's our lot for this week. We'll chat to you later. Good luck. Goal on here, goal chance for Conor McGrath. Bernie, surely give it in, Conor. Oh, what a goal! Mackie heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team Mackie still going. Goal is up for Cats. Oh, oh, what a goal! I can't think.
of a better position or a better place to be in right now anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. will stick in your mind at the champions who showed car. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. It's a small change before the game, worth the street. <laughs> been a look, Simon. Donovan, Connor, Ben. It's a wild effort on goal. It's on the first one!